0: going on everybody? <clears throat> so tonight's going to be a little bit different. I'm sorry that we're uh, a little bit late. Welcome to the true Christian podcast. As always, it's me, Mike Pagano, and we do not have JD tonight. I was giving him a little bit extra time, but it seems that he was up all night um, with a sick kid. Um, so when we start here in a moment, when we start with our normal prayer, we're going to definitely be praying for his child uh, as we're continuing to pray for Hannah over there with Justin but the show must go on, so we're going to keep it going now. I don't know if I have enough in me to give you guys two hours of content without JB. so it might not be a full-length episode, but we're going to do our best here to discuss the topic at hand, which is Sola Scriptura. Now, I am a little disappointed that I can't have my brother with me on this one because this is one he really wanted to discuss. Um, so I'm sure that we're going to cover this topic again. However, as many of you know, if there is a topic that I am definitely capable of handling on my own. It would be solo scriptor. It's something that I, um, I hold very valuable in in, in everything that I do. Um, I think it's one of the most important things that it is, uh, that we have. Um, so we will define that. We will dive into that, but before we do any of that, as always, TikTok, you are live as well. Um, so, but you have no access to the comments. If you want to join in, you need to come over to YouTube and join us over there. Um, uh, but if not, you can hang out on TikTok. That's perfectly fine. Many of you do. Um, it looks like we got a bunch of people over in TikTok. But that won't last long because most of them are probably trolls. And trolls don't like uh, not having the ability to comment. So for the guys that are joining us on YouTube, as always, I appreciate you all. Again, for anybody just coming in, JD will not be joining us this week. Um, it looks like my wife actually just texted me. Normally, I can let JD talk uh, while I do that. <laughs> she, this is how I love my wife, so I know she's probably watching me right now, too. Uh, so she's like, well, if JD can't be there, would you like me to come down? Um, if you're capable of having a conversation on Sola Script you're more than welcome to come. Um, but <laughs> I'm not changing the topic, so that's what I'm discussing tonight. But I love you so much and appreciate you for being willing to jump up and do that with me. So if she wants to join, if she's watching right now, by all means, my wife is always welcome to join. Um, I don't know how much she would enjoy t- talking about Solar Scriptor, but we shall see. Surprisingly, TikTok is still active. But as always, guys, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. Let's go ahead and pray before we d- jump into the episode. Um, And as I said, we're going to pray. Keep, keep in mind JD's son, who is sick, has a stomach bug. Um, Hannah, if you guys don't know, Hannah had the surgery for the um, cancerous mass that was on her kidney. Um, The surgery went well. So if you haven't had an update on this, the surgery went well. Um, There was no transfusion needed. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm reading the, the text message from my wife. You can definitely come join me, my love. As I said, So I don't know if she's actually watching. She might be watching. But then again, I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, Hannah had the good surgery. Now they are waiting on the autopsy, um, autopsy, biopsy for the kidney, for the mass that came off to find out what's going on with that. Um, It looks like there's going to be some chemo necessary. um, But it sounds like uh, the baby Hannah is going to be able to be home. Um, so yeah, that, that's what's, what it sounds like right now. So awesome news, incredible news. Um, we're going to keep praying for Justin and his family and whatnot. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you that you've allowed us to come together for this fellowship, whether it be via YouTube or TikTok or whatever other way that people come together and share the word with each other. Uh, I pray that you move, as always, in this podcast, that you allow your word to be edified for people listening and that discernment is present. Father, I pray for J.D. and his children and his, his son Um, That he that he finds uh, just a better day today because he's in pain and we ask that your healing uh, be present in his life. Father, we also pray that you are with Justin and his family and we pray that you're with the entire body of Christ, that you're with all of your children today, um, that you're with every single one of us, because not everybody is, is is as strong in their faith as Justin is, but there's a lot of people going through what Justin's going through. And and I know Justin's fine in this moment, but I pray about those fathers that don't have the faith that Justin has that are going through this right now for the Hannah's out there that don't have a father like they, like Hannah has. I pray for those people. I pray for everyone tonight as we get ready to go to bed and and end our days. And for those people in other parts of the world where they're starting their day, Lord, may you be with them, guide them and, 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 protect them in this spiritual battle that happens every single day. I pray all this through your son, Jesus, holy name. Amen. All right, guys. Sola Scriptura. Um the, If you're not familiar with it, let's discuss it real quick and let's do a brief um, definition of it. So not a lot of people, sadly, in, in the Protestant movement uh, nowadays know about the five solas, right? I, a lot of people are Protestant by tradition. And what I mean by that is you were born Protestant, you were born in the United States, um, and you're most likely either born into a Catholic church or a Protestant church. That's, that's what it is. And you are what you are because of your family. Let's just be very honest. Not a lot of people who are Protestant today are Protestant because they protest against the Catholic Church. Not a lot of people are Catholic today because, you know, uh, they did the research and decided to be Catholic. Now, do those people exist? Yes. I, for one, am Protestant because of a decision. I was Catholic. I was raised in the Catholic Church and I left that. So I am Protestant on that basis. And I also know people that were born Protestant that became Catholic on the same type of basis, right? But most people, are Protestant by uh, birth or Catholic by birth. And therefore, they don't know a lot about what that history means. What exactly is the Protestant Reformation? Why was the Protestant Reformation a big deal? What happened? What are the five solas? Now, if I told tell you the five solas, you'll most likely, if you are Protestant, agree with me. The sad thing is though, not all Protestant churches today really ascribe to the five solas anymore. Um, You'll hear Catholics all the time say, well, sola scriptura is the reason why we have so many bad doctrines and denominations. I would actually like to argue that against that. And as we discuss tonight, you'll see why I say this. I would argue that the, the the absence of Sola Scriptura is why we have so many bad doctrines. The absence of Sola Scriptura is why we have the progressive Christianity. The absence of Sola Scriptura is why we have the Hebrew Israelites. The absence of Sola Scriptura is why we have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. I would argue that rebelling against Sola Scriptura, denying it for what it is, is why we have these things. Just as we have the Catholic Church, which is now... Uh, in their own realm of tradition, uh, you can look at the Mormon church and they have the exact same arguments that the Catholic church has. They follow their church. They follow what their leaders say. Their leaders have the authority of scripture. So therefore, I mean, for example, if you ever watch someone discussing something with uh, uh, a Mormon, you might take them to Isaiah 44, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 45, these these strong passages that make it clear there is one God and one God only, right? Right immediately what they're going to do is they're going to go, well, Joseph Smith said, right? They don't let the word of God speak for itself. They have to go to Joseph Smith. You see the exact same arguments in a lot of Catholic traditions that exist today. Now you hear me saying, sola scriptura, sola scriptura. What is sola scriptura? Now, the reason we wanted to do this podcast is because J.D. was upset that a lot of people hear sola scriptura and they think it's solo scriptura. So sola is sola, sola meaning uh, uh, alone, one, uno, right, It's one thing, and it's scriptura, so it's scripture alone is the ultimate authority. Now, solo scriptura, which is not an actual thing, but it's often said, is the person that gets their Bible, locks themselves in their house, and it's like, just me and my Bible, right, and they think they hear God talking to them, and they, you know, they take whatever they want from the Bible, and they say, well, it's just me and my Bible, you can't tell me anything otherwise, When this gets presented as Sola Scriptura, this is when it gets a bad name. And this is where Catholics actually have room to argue. I would argue, too, that this is a terrible way to read the Bible. If Protestants believe that it's okay to lock yourself in your closet, never confer with elders, never confer with church history, then you're wrong. You see, if you actually look at the Reformers, if you dive into the history books, if you dive into the Protestant Reformation, nowhere in there did they say, you know what, screw all church history screw all, uh, 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 mentors and elders and et cetera, et cetera. They never did that. Never did that. They, they, felt the need to test everything by scripture. In fact, the statement of the the Reformation was semper reformanda, which means always reforming. As Christians, we should always be reforming what we're doing to make sure that it falls in line with scripture. So sola scriptura is not the rejection of tradition. Sola scriptura is holding tradition to the scriptures. Now, the difference between us and the Catholics is they believe that scripture, tradition, and church are equal, three legs of a stool. And in fact, it was Vatican II when they said that one cannot stand without the other. So they believe that the word of God cannot stand without the other, okay? Um, Now, I see we have some people in the comment section. I know that's gonna happen, so this is the one time I'll say it. We're not here to argue with you. Uh, Um, you can, you know, argue all you want. We're just here to have discussions about what the facts are. Um, so guys, I would say, if you want to have a good conversation, ignore that person right now and let's, let's talk. That's what I'm here for. You can talk to this guy later at another time. I don't want you distracted arguing with this person. If they can't, you know, let this conversation happen without wanting to argue, I can mute them, but I want you guys to get some facts here before we start arguing. Catholics that I've met online, you've got two types, the respectable kind that have mature conversations that are willing to have dialogue. Then you have the, you don't know what you're talking about. You Protestants don't have a right to talk and therefore anything you say is wrong kind. If he's that kind, who cares? If he's this kind, he's going to listen and he's going to have a conversation and a dialogue. Regardless though, neither of those is going back and forth. Now let's define Sola Scriptura a, a little bit clearer. Again, it means that scripture is the ultimate authority. And sometimes I think it's necessary to do this. It's easy to take a title and caricaturize it, caricaturize it, right? You hear Sola Scriptura and you start thinking what you think it means. Well, it's easy to say, ew, Sola Scriptura, if you think it means X, Y, and Z. But if it means holding the word of God as the ultimate authority, are you willing to say you don't do that? Anybody listening to this, are you willing to say you do not hold the word of God to the ultimate authority? Now, a lot of people will tell you that church history, most church uh, fathers were not Sola Scriptura, and that didn't come into existence until 1500. Now, the term Sola Scriptura did not, but I would love to show you some quotes from, the old, from uh, church fathers that would dismiss this. In fact, I have one right here that I pulled to the side. This is Augustine. Now, if you don't know who Augustine is, Augustine is one of the greatest church fathers in in church history. And Catholics respect him. Protestants respect him. Um, he is the great bishop of Hippo. And it's a decent quote here, but I want you to hear how he speaks. Just because the term sola scriptura did not exist yet, I want to ask you a question: If the word chair did not exist yet, does that mean a chair doesn't exist? If I told you here's this object with four legs that you sit on, would you therefore say, "Well, the word chair doesn't exist yet, so that's not a chair"? One, well, if I'm defining something, I'm defining it. So, regardless if the term sola scriptura existed yet, let's hear what Augustine says. What more shall I teach you? That then, sorry. <clears throat> what more shall I teach you than what we read in the apostle? For Holy Scripture fixes the rule for our doctrine, lest we dare to be wiser than we ought. Therefore, I should not teach you anything else except to expound to you the words of the teacher. I must not press the authority of Nicaea against you, nor you that are ariminum against me. I do not acknowledge the one as you do not the other, but let us come to ground that is common to both the testimony of the Holy Scriptures. Let us not hear this I say, this you say, but thus says the Lord. Surely it is the books of the Lord on whose authority we both agree, and which we both believe. There let us seek the church, there let us discuss our case. Let those things be removed from our midst, which we quote against each other, not from divine canonical books, but from elsewhere. Someone may perhaps ask, why do you want to remove these things from the midst? Because I do not want the Holy Church proved by human documents, but by divine oracles. Whatever they may adduce and wherever they may quote from, let us rather, if we are his sheep, hear the voice of our shepherd. Therefore, let us search for the church in the sacred canonical scriptures. Neither dare one agree with Catholic bishops, of if by chance they err in anything, with the result that their opinion is against. The canonical scriptures of God. If anyone preaches either concerning Christ or concerning his church or concerning any other matter which pertains to our faith and life, I will not say if we, what Paul adds, if an angel from heaven should preach to you anything besides what you have received in the scriptures of the law and of the gospels, let him be anathema. You ought to notice particularly and store in your memory that God wanted to lay a firm foundation in the scriptures against treacherous errors a foundation against which no one dares to speak who would in any way be considered a Christian. For when he offered himself to them to touch, this did not suffice him unless he also confirmed the heart of the believers from the scriptures. For he foresaw that that the time would come when we would not have anything to touch, but would have something to read. Now that is from Augustine of Hippo from prior to the fourth century. If you want me to believe that church fathers did not absolutely respect, love, admire, and and, and and hold to the holy scriptures. Matter of fact, if you want to do a dive into church history, we don't got the time for this. Go look into every single heresy that the church battled and tell me, do you see any of the heresies being battled with tradition? You could read traditions when they battled Arian, Nestorian. Uh, 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 Gnosticism, they always reference the Holy Scriptures. Now, Catholics often will go to one verse in the Bible that says, hold fast to what you heard us preach or the traditions. And as anybody that's been in my live streams knows, what do I always tell you guys? Do not presuppose what a word means based on your own assumptions. We see the word tradition in in the Bible. Can I ask you if anyone knows what the word tradition actually means? So the word tradition is a teaching That's what it is, right? Nothing in the Bible tells you that the traditions that the apostles speak of are not found in the scriptures. You see, as we read by Athanasius, uh, he said that the traditions were um, preserved in the holy writings of the scriptures because that's what the apostles did. They made sure that their traditions were written down. And that's why Paul would say, hey, in first Corinthians 15, one through four, what did he say? Hold fast to what I taught you. And then he ends up writing down what he had already taught them. You see, when the scriptures say, hold fast to what I said to you, it's not like there's this hidden message that he did not write down that that they need to hold on to. In fact, Paul also says, do not go beyond what is written. Um, we're going to read some scripture here in a moment, and it's obviously the strongest woman that comes to Sola Scriptura, but if anybody in the comment section wants to let me know anything that you've heard in response to, you know, you standing on Sola Scriptura, let me know, because I know some of the common things that people say against it. I would love to give you some uh, guidance on how you would respond to those things and whatnot, and we're going to go through a bunch of stuff tonight. Like I said, Um on why we believe Sola Scriptor is, is what it is. Normally I have JD to bounce off of, but since I don't, and I didn't plan to be alone, I don't have notes in a certain way. So if there's moments where I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, let me let me go back to this and mention this and 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 X, Y, Z, just help me out guys and bear with me um, by all means. Now, um, Sola Scriptor is again, holding everything to the ultimate authority, which is scripture. And one of the common pushbacks you're gonna get is, Well, you wouldn't know what scripture is if it wasn't for the Catholic Church. And this is one that if you do not know how to handle, you may end up stumbling into this and not knowing how to confront it. There's a couple of things I want you guys to ask yourself. First and foremost, did Jesus hold people accountable to the word of God prior to an official canon? The answer is yes. When Jesus rebuked anybody in the Bible, did he say, what canon do you hold to? What magisterium? Uh, has uh, infallibly dogmatized the canon. You see, nobody had a canon prior to this. I mean, they had, don't get me wrong, did they have unofficial canons? Yes, but even the Jews disagreed. But Jesus never cared about what a man has given authority to when he held somebody accountable. In fact, what Jesus would say is, have you not heard what God has said to you? He wouldn't even say what God had said in the past. He spoke as if the word of God was active and living, just as Hebrew says. And if it is written now, it is God speaking right now. Jesus never was like, well, wait a minute. You guys don't have a canon. I can't hold you accountable. How would you know what the scriptures are? This statement is almost as if, if God, if, if the Catholic church didn't canonize the Bible, well, God's Bible wouldn't be a real thing. That is obnoxious and ignorant. And you're only gonna hear that from ignorant Catholics. You will never hear that in an actual formal debate with reputable Catholic scholars because what a Catholic scholar is going to tell you is not that the Catholic church created the Bible. It is that the God gave them the right to compile it. The word of God had existed before the canonization of the Bible. They were reading these letters prior to the Bible being canonized. The Bible is just a spine added to it and the letters being brought together. We had scripture. Matter of fact, the Bible existed before the New Testament. It was called the Hebrew Bible. So that's the first thing you need to understand. Second of all, it is 100 percent possible for the Catholic Church to compile the Bible and the today's Catholic Church not be the Catholic Church of that day. And here's something that a lot of Catholics I've yet here hear answer me. And, and I would love I'm going to have a Catholic on this on this show. We're going to have these kind of discussions. But here's a question. Can anyone show me one Nicene father that believes everything that the Catholics believe today? And you can't answer that because there is not a single bishop that was present in Nicaea who believes all the dogmas of today, the, uh, the assumption of Mary, perpetual virginity of Mary, every one of these dogmas. Now, if that's true, then you can't sit here and pretend that those Catholics that were present at Nicaea are the same Catholics that we have today because no Protestant is saying that the Catholic church was corrupt from day one. Protestants are making the the case that over the course of time, as man's pride was invested in the Catholic Church, it fell away. And if you look at any history of the popes, you would quickly find this out. You see, prior to 1200, popes weren't voted in the pope chair was capable of being bought in fact there was one pope named benedict who rumor is had the chair at 15 years old and he he lost the chair three times this man had done several things to earn the uh, to take the chair there are popes that have killed people popes that have had you know very evil things that they've done and i'm not saying this like oh the catholic church is evil cuz catholics hear this and they think i'm saying look at your church my point is if we can admit that several evil men have taken the chair of of Pope, which is the highest bishop in your church, then we have to acknowledge that there's a chance that over the course of history, things have changed in your church. Now, this isn't a Catholic episode podcast, but I'm giving you this understanding just because when someone wants to say that the Catholic church is the ones who compiled the Bible, so therefore you can't be sola scriptura and, and be against Catholicism, that is a straight up ignorant and absurd statement. Because you could be solo scriptura before the Catholic church ever existed. Some examples, every single time Jesus um, stood against anybody in error, he used scripture. Now, let's remember something. Jesus is God, right? Jesus doesn't need anything to validate him. But why does he lean on scripture? In fact, in John chapter 5, he said, if I bore testimony on myself with nothing bearing witness on me, it would mean nothing. God himself said, even I need my scriptures to back me up. Why? Because God stays true to his own word. When Satan tried to battle Jesus in the desert, what did Jesus do? He went to the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures are the word of God. Now, you'll hear all the time, well, Sola Scriptura is the reason why you have people twisting the word of God today. Well, that means the devil must have known about Sola Scriptura back in the desert. Because last I checked, Satan's been trying to twist scriptures since Genesis 3 because he twisted God's word in Genesis 3. It's it's a fallacy. These are a lot of fallacies. But let's dive into the scriptures real quick and let's talk about why do we believe in sola scriptura. Now there's two specific places that I want to go to. First one is Deuteronomy 18 because people will say, "Well, how would you know what scripture is if you if you didn't have, you know, uh, you know, if you're sola scriptura, how would you know what scripture is?" Well, that's interesting because the people asked Moses the same question. "How will we know who is from the Lord and and what should we listen to him? So it says here, um, actually it's Deuteronomy 19, I believe. I might've been wrong about this. Nope, it's 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God of Horeb, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God, or see my great fire any anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from, an, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of of him, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speak in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And then, oh, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? So here's the question. Okay, Moses, God's going to send another one. How do we know what's from God and what's not from God? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. That's your test for scripture. Why do I know the Book of Mormon? Because you'll hear people saying, well, how do you know the Book of Mormon is not the word of God? Because Joseph Smith is a false prophet. Simple as that. I don't need a a magisterium to tell me that the the Mormon church is false. What do you mean? Because he's a false prophet. How do you know? Muhammad wasn't a prophet because he didn't fit this test. He didn't give me no prophecies that came to pass. Again, this idea that you, that God somehow relies on man to authorize his scripture. Never once does God say, I will send you an infallible magisterium. I will set up elders upon your people that will let you know what my word is. Never once does God ever say, Rely on man. In fact, here's the thing that blows my mind. When you say you're against Sola Scriptura, here's what you're saying you believe in when it comes to who God is. Ready? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You believe, this goes for my Catholic brothers and sisters if you're watching. I love you to death. You know I love you to death. I do. You believe in a God that's perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, wise, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient right? We believe in that same God. You believe in a God who's capable of giving you his inerrant word, his word that is breathed by God, his Theanostas word. You believe he could do that. But the difference is, I believe he gave me everything I need for salvation in the Bible. You believe this same God who's capable of giving us everything we need, left parts out of that Bible and forces his believers thousands of years later to seek out that 10% Infallible man, that's what you believe. That sounds like a god of confusion to me because the god I know wouldn't do that. Why? Because that's what the word of God says. Let's go to it, and nobody likes when we go here, but let's go here. Second Timothy chapter 3, and we're not going to verse 16, not right away, because I want to read the whole chapter with you guys because there's a lot going on in this chapter. First, let's get some context why is Paul writing Second Timothy? So, this is the last letter that Paul writes before he's going to die. Paul knows he is going to die. Imagine this mentally. You're on the way to death. You're about to go die for this gospel. And you're writing a letter to the one that you call a son in the faith. And what are you saying to him? Be strong, be bold, and go do what I was doing until they kill you too. But what does he give him in his final message? The very end of the letter, let's read this. The chapter four is the final chapter, but this is what pr- leads into chapter four. Let's read this final message that Paul says, you know what, I'm about to die. This is what I need you to understand, Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Keep that one back here, please. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. So Paul gives Timothy this incredible warning. Okay, so that's the warning. That's called descriptive text, right? He's describing what's going on. Next is going to be what? So you have descriptive. So the Bible is made up of descriptive and, um, um, um oh man, I just lost the second word here. Um, um, in... in Oh, my wife would be mad at me if I forget a word. Descriptive and the other one is when you're supposed to do it. I had a brain fart. I know this other word. Someone in the comment section helped me out. But descriptive text is what gives you an understanding of what's happening. And then there's the other type of text which tells you how you should be or what you should do because of this descriptive text. So this is descriptive. Now, what does he give him as a response to this? He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life prescriptive. Thank you, Walsh. Descriptive and prescriptive text. That's the Bible in a nutshell. The Bible is descriptive text, prescriptive text. It's either descriptive. This is what happened. This is how it happened. This is what they saw, et cetera, et cetera. Prescriptive. This is what you need to do. This is how you should handle yourself. This is what you should walk with. That's the Bible. Here's the prescriptive. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Stop right there. We haven't even gotten to the big bang that everybody quotes 316, right? We got Timothy being told by Paul, man, things about to get crazy. Listen Tim, I'm about to die. And things are going to get real crazy. And and you know, I've been trying to teach you, but I need you to hold on to what? To the things that the word of God has given you, which is what capable of making you wise for salvation through who through Jesus Christ. Side note, this is the old Testament. He's also talking about because the new Testament doesn't exist yet. So if anybody tells you, you can't preach the gospel from the old Testament, they don't, they never met Paul's writings. Paul teaches the gospel from the old Testament. Now, listen. Verse 16, this is the one everybody gets to. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now I wanna go through this one passage right here. Verse 16 and 17, I wanna hit this hard because I wanna know what exactly is Paul saying here? What exactly is Paul saying here? Because either Paul's telling the truth or people that tell me Sola Scriptura is false are telling the truth because I don't believe they both can coincide. Now, first and foremost, I want you to understand that Paul uses a special word here when he says breathed out by God. It's not just the Greek word for breathed out and then the Greek word for God. It's not what it is. This is actually a word that only exists right here to describe this scripture being special. It's theanostas theanostas this is a word that paul uses just right here to let you know this is a unique thing this is very unique this is not this is not just breathed by god it's a word that he creates just for scripture you can still teach the old te- teach the gospel out of the old testament dominion of god you can actually 100% teach the gospel from the old testament Psalm 22 describes Christ's literal crucifixion before crucifixion was even a thing. All right, let's talk about it now. So what's the very first thing? Breathed out by God. Let's focus on that. Breathed out by God. What is that telling us? That is saying that even though man is the one jotting down scripture, this word, this written word is directly from the mouth of God, whether it's done by Holy Spirit, whether it's done by, uh, 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 I mean, well, done by Holy Spirit is how all of it was done. But whether it's by the Holy Spirit through a man or from the mouth of Jesus being recorded by a man, it is directly from the lips of God. Is that word a hopper? Well, I can't even pronounce what you just said. Walsh. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) Directly from the mouth of God. So that means as Christians, we have to believe that all scripture is perfect. Right? Because if we believe that it's breathed out by God here, all scripture must be perfect. So that's the number one thing that we believe about the scriptures, right? So all scripture is perfect. What's the next one? And it's profitable for teaching. Okay. If there are things that are outside of scripture, how can I use scripture for teaching? Can I teach someone that Mary was assumed into heaven with scripture? No. Can I teach someone that the, the that the Pope is infallible from Scripture? No. Can I teach someone to pray the rosary from scripture? No. So how is all scripture profitable for teaching? For reproof and for correction. Same thing. If everything that I can correct is in scripture, everything that I can reproof is in scripture. If scripture is capable of all of these things, of all of these things, how can there be things beyond it? And the real one, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. That word for complete is a very interesting one. Some of your translations will actually have the word perfect because that is actually what the Greek term means. If you look down here at the bottom of the screen, um, let me open it up so you can actually read it a little bit better. So artios means perfect, capable of making the man of God perfect. Now, granted, are we ever going to reach perfection? Not in this body. However, However, the word of God is capable of making the man of God get there. But if there's things outside of scripture that are necessary for my salvation, if the Bible is not sufficient on its own, how can this verse be accurate? And then what was the next line? And capable of or, or, or equipped for every good work. But yet some people will tell me that there are good works outside of the Bible. You see, when someone pushes against solo scriptura, you're telling me that the word of God is not sufficient. Now, I've actually had conversations with some Catholics where I'd ask them, is the word of God sufficient? And I've been told no by some. Now, not all. Again, I don't want you to think I'm generalizing all Catholics here. I'm not. I'm not. In fact, I know Catholics that basically are solo scriptura. They just won't use the words because they don't want to get their church mad at them, get their friends mad at them. But I have spoken to Catholics that will say the word of God is not sufficient. Ladies and gentlemen, that's crazy. That is that is a wild statement to say that the word of God is not su- sufficient for my salvation. You know, John ends his letter, ends his gospel in, uh, let me, I wasn't planning on going here, but let me just go here real quick. If you go to John chapter 20, one thing I love about John is he loves to tell you why he wrote something. And he tells you right here, Yes, Walsh, that, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a unique word only found right there, theanostas, yes. It is a word that Paul created just for that. Instead of taking the word for breathed in Greek and the word for um, uh, um, um, God in Greek and just being like God breathed, it was one word that he creates for this to describe its uniqueness because nothing is like scripture. Yes, theanostas. Oh, that was the word you were saying earlier? Oh, bro, yeah, you had me. <laughs> you had me there, man. I did not know what word you were saying earlier. Now, I want to make something clear, though, because this is the problem when we start arguing about Sola Scriptura. People think that this means that we, again, I said this earlier, that we believe we can just lock ourselves in our house, read the Bible alone, and have a private interpretation because Peter makes it clear. There is no private interpretation in scripture. There are people out there that will say, I don't need anybody. I can read the scripture all by myself. All I need is me and the Holy Spirit. Can I be honest with you? People that do that, most of the time aren't listening to the Holy Spirit. What they've done is they've convinced themselves that their inner monologue is the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing more dangerous than a person that thinks it's God talking to them, but it's actually themselves because they've become God. Nowhere in the Bible does it give you permission to interpret scripture on your own. This is why the scriptures also make it clear that the way you study the word of God is precept upon precept, line upon line. You see scripture interprets scripture. And you might say, Mike, what exactly does that mean? Well, how do we know that the Old Testament is 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 valid Scriptures? Jesus quotes from it. He, in fact, he even says the prophet, the law, and the Psalms. He he speaks of these. He gives validity to them, right? And what what is it that, that you guys heard? Um, Jordan say the other night, tota scriptura, meaning we take all Scripture in totality. Let me give you an example. Two or three episodes ago, we we studied the story of Jesus in Nazareth. Mike didn't give you his own personal interpretation. How did we look at it? We read every single version of the story from the synoptic gospels. We took all three synoptic gospels. We read them together. When we did the parable of the sower, we did the same thing. And then we cross-reference it with other parts of scripture. Why? Because scripture interprets scripture. If you do it this way, there is no private interpretation. You're allowing the scripture to speak for itself. And then we also bounce that off elders, mentors, scholars. We have that room. Sola Scriptura is not, man, I was sitting in my closet today and I was reading this chapter. And you know, I think it says that aliens are actually the Antichrist. Because no, 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 listen to me, man. I listened to me. I saw it. And no, I get it. Believe me. I, I want to side with Catholics on that one. When I see the Protestants out here that are just making up their own stuff, Like, oh, I don't, I met a guy one time who said he doesn't even need a Bible because the Holy Spirit gives him the word in his head. Bro, stop it. (laughs) Take several seats. Let me be very clear about this. The Holy Spirit will teach you, but he doesn't always do it with you alone. He works through others because guess what? Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can work through others. And you see, if they've been walking with the Lord longer, they recognize the Spirit a little bit better. Because if you're new to the faith, you might still confuse yourself with the Holy Spirit. Oh, what was that thought I just had? Was that you, God? No, no. That thought was I should go buy 37 cheeseburgers. That ain't you, God. You know what? Maybe that is God. Maybe that is God. People, oh, you ever see him? People, God told me to open this business. No, he didn't. God ain't tell you to open that business. You really wanted to open it. So you convinced yourself that God is telling you that he told you to open that business. Nothing makes me cringe more than people telling me God told me and then start going on to this thing that benefits you. Oh, God just was really, he really, you, he was trying to benefit you. This is why it is important that we have fellowship. We follow traditions. We just always test everything by the word of God. So again, what is Sola Scriptura? We test everything by the word of God. It is the ultimate guide of faith. Meaning if you were to come to me and say, Mike, man, look, man, I've been using crystals to pray. And man, I'm telling you, man, Jesus really answers me when I use crystals. Well, I'm going to test that by the word of God. Now, I'm sorry, brother. That is not fly with this test. You have failed the test. You have failed the test here. Why? Because the word of God speaks against wizard, uh, um, uh, um, sorcery, magic, uh, uh, idolatry. Like, I mean, I can go down a list go down the list. Now, um anybody uh by the way, if anybody has like I said anything that you've heard people say in re- in rejection of sola scriptura, please feel free to drop it in the comment section because again, um I didn't plan on being alone on this episode. So, being alone means that I'm trying to do all this off the hip. Like I don't have any notes. This was supposed to be a dialogue. Um so if I, if I sound like I'm all over the place, this is 100%. Like I prayed before this and said, Lord, I'm by myself and I ain't been feeling good. Y'all know I've been sick lately. I said, Lord, give me energy, give me strength and give me the words. Cause I, I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, yeah, I hope you all are uh, definitely having an amazing night. We have this little mid episode intermission right now. We'll see what we got. Any questions in the comment section? Um, uh, um, anything on the lines of that? There's this incredible book, by the way, that I've been reading. I think I showed it to you guys the other day. It's actually called Sola Scriptura Um, as I was preparing uh, uh, to do something bigger than this episode. Um, I haven't got through it much because I got sick right after I decided to start reading it. Um, Got really sick, Um, but I'm doing much better right now. By the way, thank you for everybody that's been praying for me. Um, I just needed some rest. My throat is a little bit better. I sound better. Remember last episode, I was over here like, all right, guys. So what what we're going to do is uh pushing people like comment and like bro you about to cry. Now soul scripture didn't happen in a vacuum. Amen. Exactly. Um and that's that's one of the things that I, it blows my mind when people speak against soul scripture. Let me kind of hit on that again. When people say that the reason why we have so many Protestant denominations is Sola Scriptura, because here's what they think Sola Scriptura means. So they think Sola Scriptura means I'm allowed to come up with anything I want in the Bible. That's not what Sola Scriptura means. Let me tell you right now, progressive Christianity abandoned solo scriptura how do I know because they changed the definition of love that the bible gives us they changed what a what a god-fearing marriage is they changed what God allows they change what God has said they deny that God is, has wrath and justice and they they preach a hippie version of God that allows people to do whatever they want um and and, and have whatever they want that's not solo scriptura I have not met a pro a progressive Christian that that abides by solo scriptura. Have not met one. Let's see. Uh, 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 um, Mormons. I mean, they literally have their own book that completely goes against sola scriptura. They believe that there are multiple infinite amount of gods, and that uh, Jesus and Satan are brothers. Right? They abandon sola scriptura. Um, let's see. Let's see. <clears throat> uh, let me be careful. I don't want to. I don't want to step on too many toes tonight. Uh, Hebrew Israelites, yeah, I don't gotta really even say much there. They have 100% abandoned sola scriptura. Um, my dad was asking me if I had if I have had ever thought about how Moses and Abraham didn't have a Bible, but they still had strong faith, hinting at you might not need scripture to have a strong faith. Help? No, well, you don't. No, no, no. So, all right, let's actually talk about what scripture is. All right. So, there's two types of revelation of God. Okay. Ready. General revelation and special revelation. General revelation, as described in, described in Romans one, is the creation around you. General revelation. You can't deny that there's a creator. Heaven, earth, well, the skies, earths, water, the animals, our bodies, are everything around us. You can The general revelation is clear. How can you deny it? Special revelation is God speaking. Okay. Now. People might uh, uh, people might not know this, but do you know what the definition of a pagan is in the Bible? I know pagans have created their own thing nowadays, but do you know what a pagan is in the Bible? People who worship an unknown God. So by definition, Christians can't be a pagan because why? Because we know who our God is. You see, our God has revealed himself to us. We now know who he is. Now, prior to that, some people don't. We see Paul saying it. He goes, hey, I, I, he came to the Athenians and what did he say? I was traveling through your city and I see that you are religious people. I see you have altars to these different gods and you have one to the unknown God. And then he introduces them to who Yahweh is. So how can you have a faith without the Bible? 100%. But... The Bible is our guide to faith. You see, our Bible takes us from the unknown God to who God is. Because without the Bible, you can know a God exists. Without the Bible, you can know that there is a God and you want to get to know him. And what does he say? Seek me and you will find me. Abraham seeked him. Abraham found him. Moses seeked him. Moses found him, right? If you seek him, you will find him but you can't know him unless he speaks to you. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to Adam, right? He spoke to these people. And then he had his word taken down and that word is living. And that's why when Jesus speaks to people, he doesn't say, have you not read what God said a long time ago that's written down? He says, have you not heard what God has said to you? When you read the word of God, his word is active. His word is speaking to you. Every time you read the word of God, you are listening to God. That is God's word. He is speaking to you. That's why it's something special. It's unique. It's the Anostas. And his canon was compiled. God allowed men to compile his canon, but they didn't authorize it that's what people need to realize when the bible was canonized it was not authorized by man it was compiled by man and the canon is closed now here's an interesting thing though technically the catholic church did not put a dogmatic uh, uh, authority on the canon until 1600 like that's first and foremost There are no inspired works outside of the Bible. You can believe that if you want, but please don't come in here trying to cause confusion. Um, the Apocrypha is not inspired work. It's not written by prophets. It's not written by inspired men. Um, and God is not too weak to keep his work uh, safe. It, it, I think it's weird when people think that there are inspired works outside of the Bible, and then you would that would be implying that God can't keep his word compiled. Um, that's pretty crazy, in fact. That means you believe in a God that's not all-powerful and capable of preserving his word. Um, he has no new revelation. It's not about inspiration. It's about revelation. The Bible is special revelation. Um, there is no new revelation. The revelation ended with the revelation of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the end. Um, and that's what revelation is, right? So there is no new revelation. Um Yeah, there are people that are influenced and inspired by God, sure, but their writings aren't scripture. Holy scripture is directly breathed from God, not just inspired by a person that has God moving in their life, right? There's lots of godly people that are writing good books, right? There's some great godly people that are writing. I mean, this book right here has several authors and I would say they're pretty much all of them are God of men of God. This is not scripture because scripture is revelation of God revelation. Hey, this isn't a debate hour though. So, uh, dominion of God, I'm, I'm really getting some sus, uh, sus feelings about you in this, uh, uh, in this channel. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and put you in a timeout because you've been in here saying some real, uh, pro- prophet type stuff, saying that, you know, uh, people are are there's still revelation today there's more books of the Bible that we don't know about um you don't need anybody to teach you the Holy Spirit tells you what scripture is you sound like one of the people that really out there talking to you that's that see that's that's solo scripture How to get rid of them oh whoa no whoa whoa oh I accidentally blocked no no hold on guys I accidentally blocked my boy Walsh hold on let me see if I can get him back <laughs> I'm gonna put you guys on a five second All right, all right. I got it fixed. I had to go into the YouTube on my actual phone. Um that's my boy. So, I'm sorry guys. I had to get him back. I can't have him blocked. That's my brother right there. So, um if y'all don't know this, y'all should go check him out, Walsh. I actually plan on getting on his podcast eventually. Um so he's part of the cross media uh, group they have invited me to be a part of it I am a member of cross media it's just a bunch of apologetic people uh that have come together uh from different walks of uh of life that 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 come together to um um preach and everything uh no did you end the live no so my bad i had to whew. I had to worry about that for a second. That's my boy. I didn't want to accidentally, um, I didn't want to accidentally block him. So, all right, TikTok is back up and running. Um, okay, whoo. So, let us resume our normal <laughs> programming. Yes, <laughs> but no, I had to get rid of that guy because I, if if anybody was paying attention during this live stream, he was saying a lot of sus things, and like, I, it was to the point where I had to interject a few times. If you didn't notice, like a few times, I'd be like, ah. Uh, yeah, and the canon is closed because I saw him say something about how there's still inspirational work happening and how the whole, he kept saying how the Holy Spirit talks directly to you. So I would say, and be careful, people think the Holy Spirit's talking to him. Like he was influencing a lot of the things I was saying because I was worried that some of you might have actually seen what he was saying and been like, oh, that sounds legit. Um, So <laughs> I had to, I had to just get rid of him. Uh, there's some people, what they do is they they show up to other people's live streams And what they do is they, they try and preach from the comments. They try and preach from the comments and that's rude and crazy. Um, so no, you are not welcome to come preach your cult stuff from the comments. Um, it looks like I messed up TikTok. So now there's a thing on the screen blocking my face face. I don't know if the people on TikTok can see me. Give me one second guys on TikTok. I'm going to restart the app. Um, yeah, always use discernment. But uh, let's go back to any Q&A. Uh, as I said, y'all make sure y'all give Walsh a follow. Yeah, Dominion Walsh. That's who I was blocking when I ended up blocking you by accident. Um, I'm sure. So here's what's coming soon. There will be a, a a post by that guy soon saying that, you know, I was scared of him and, and I had to block him because this, this, and that. Let me go ahead and get the live stream going back for TikTok. See, if JD was here everything would be smooth. So I want you all to blame JD that we had this hiccup because normally I could be doing stuff while JD is in the background. I mean, while JD takes over, like I can kind of let JD take the front load and then I can y'all see me pop off screen. Sometimes when I pop off screen, that's me doing something in the background, trying to fix things. Um, or as the, as my stalker has told people that's Mike going off camera to do drugs. So that's what Mike does. He goes off camera, does a couple lines and, and goes crazy. Right. DMing him. <laughs> be careful. Um, So, yeah, without JD here, y'all had to see the technical issues where I had to literally be like, hold on, guys, let me go fix that mess up. Um, But no, but we do hope that JD comes back soon, hopefully. So, next week, let me just give you guys a heads up on what's going on next week. Um, Monday, we are going to, I told you la- uh, last episode that Monday was going to be marriage, Wednesday is children. I was wrong. I lied to you. I beg for forgiveness. Let me repent of that, right? <laughs> um, if you know me, you know I don't like when people say repent of. But um Monday I forgot I promised uh Nicholas, Nico, to do an orthodox episode. So if you have ever wondered, what's the deal with those guys with the beards that look Catholic but they're not Catholic? What exactly do they believe? What exactly is their church? What exactly uh you know, is their doctrine? Uh Nico is one of my close friends. Uh he's a Marine Corps brethren, so therefore he's, you know, God, Marine Corps family, like, or God, family, Marine Corps, uh, you know, so, you know, he's right there, right below, you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, you know, as far as Marine Corps goes, and then he's also a brother or sister in Christ. So, um, we're going to have him on and we're going to discuss it in a way that shows that we can have differences and we can still be respectable and have dialogue. Now, people ask me all the time, what, you know, what's up with the Orthodox and, and this, this, and that. I want him to be able to share it, um, I want him to be able to tell you guys what they believe. And at the end of the day, yes, St. Nicholas from Discord. At the end of the day, I respect the Orthodox view. And if I had to choose between Catholic or Orthodox, I'd be Orthodox 10 times in a row um, because I respect their views way more than the Catholic traditions that have went off the rails, in my opinion. Um, And we'll do the Catholic episode. We're going to get a Catholic uh, friend of mine up here um, that, that can have dialogue with me without it becoming some crazy argument. Um, If you guys have never had a chance, there's a two and a half hour long debate that I had with Emily from TikTok, who is uh, Catholic converts. We did a debate on justification. Um, So if you ever want to see that, you can definitely go into the YouTube uh, archives on my page and and watch that. And then next Wednesday, JD and I will be diving into uh, Christian marriage and family, children. Um, And the reason we're doing that in one episode is because I do believe that those things go hand in hand anyway. Um, for two hours, I don't see us being able to talk about just marriage or just children separately. I feel like that'd be a better episode to kind of dive into together. Um, because children affect the marriage, right? Um, anybody here that's married knows your children and the relationship that you have with your children affects your marriage 100%. Um, and, and vice versa, the, your marriage affects your children. Um, so why not do those together? So JD and I both are fathers. We are both husbands. Um, And we would love to have that conversation. Maybe I'll have my wife join us for the final part of the episode to give you all some womenly, uh, woman of God uh, uh, input. Um, But we shall see. Yes, if you do not know Nick, make sure you have a notebook. Nick will – I will not debate Nick because I am not smart enough to debate Nick. I disagree with him on his doctrine, but I could never hold a candle to Nick when it comes to church history. That man is a walking encyclopedia of church history. He will get lost in his own conversations, and you'll be sitting there like, he'd be like a plagiarist, was talking to Athenius. And if you remember in the 17th document of the Council of 1792, when is, you'd be just like, bro, what? So we will get into that. Uh, but guys, we have an hour left and I mean, I feel like we really discussed soul Scripture. I'm sure there's so much more I could have said. And if I had notes prepared, um, we could have did it, but, uh, anybody open questions right now? Um, (laughs) I recently posted that video about faith alone and man, I got some people upset on that one. People love to misrepresent faith alone. I know we have to do another episode on that here soon. Um, and we will, we definitely will. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's sad how much people misrepresent faith alone. Oh, faith alone just means I love God, but not enough to do his will. Like, no, we're just not cocky enough to act like us doing his will earns anything from him. That's the difference. Like, let's just make that very clear. Nobody is saying I believe in faith alone because I don't think I I want to serve God or anything like that. No, we want to serve God. We just aren't so arrogant to believe that our serving of God would add anything to the, to the pot. I've never seen Candace Owens say that. In fact, I've never seen Candace Owens speak of anything religion-wise. Is Candace Owens Catholic? That would make sense because a lot of people with the Daily Wire, if they're not Jewish, they're Catholic. I know Matt Walsh is uh, Jewish, um, so I would not be surprised if Candace Owens is Catholic. Um, But yeah— so there's this misconception. Yeah, that's another thing that bothers me too. You get a lot of people that'll say the Cat, you know, Protestant Reformation or Protestants didn't exist until 1500. This shows that they don't actually understand what the Protestant Reformation was. First and foremost, the Protestant Reformation was done by Catholics. Luther was a Catholic monk. Uh, Calvin was a Catholic. Tinsdale was a Catholic. Like all these people. They were Catholics. And their goal was not to start a new religion. Their goal was to reform the church that they loved. They loved the Catholic Church. They wanted to reform it. But the Catholic Church was so lost into its uh, 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 power and pride that it couldn't. In fact, 100 years before the re- re- reformers was a man named Jean Hus. And Jean Hus also pushed back against. um, uh uh indulgences and then he was burned at the stake. Let me tell you a little something about John Hus. Are you going to be building in the five solas? Yes. So uh Walsh, I actually talked about wanting to do an episode on the five solas. Maybe that's one of the episodes you and me could do a cross episode on where we kind of do a collab because I know that you would definitely be down to do a five solas episode. I've talked about it many times. It's upsetting that not a lot of uh, Protestants in this uh in this era understand what the five solas are. Um and I believe that those are the the foundation of the church. like They should be the foundation of your faith, five solas. Um, Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, for the glory of God alone. Um, So I I, I truly believe that. Um, But yeah, John Huss. So 100 years before Martin Luther, a man named John Huss, who was a Catholic priest, spoke against two things. He spoke against indulgences and also the holy wars. Now, what he said was that the Pope needs to stop sending people to die to fight his wars and to stop selling indulgences, um, and and to make money for the church. Now indulgences, which still exist today are something where, uh, so Catholics believe in what's known as purgatory and purgatory means that if you die with venial sins, you can't go straight to heaven because you're still dirty, right? Now, Christ died on the cross, which gave you the capability to go to heaven, but it didn't clean you. And if you die with venial sins on your heart, you need to be purified. Now, that purification is not temporal, but it could last a certain amount of time. Um, And if if the Pope grants you indulgences, it can remove time from your time in purgatory. Now, how do you get these indulgences? Now, in today's culture, they don't sell them anymore. But for example, recently, a couple years ago, if you were to follow the Pope on Twitter, you can get some time knocked off your purgatory. I'm not lying right now. I promise you that I'm not lying to you. You can go look that story up. If you were to follow him on Twitter and follow what he was doing because you can't make it to where he's going, you get some plenary indulgences. He had an event in Pennsylvania. If you were to show up to that, you get indulgences, right? Now, back in the day, They would preach saying, if you give a coin, you can have an indulgence. And that's how they built St. Peter's Basilica, for example. They built it with the coins earned from indulgences. Now, Martin Luther stood against these, and so did John Hus. Now, John Hus did this 100 years before Martin Luther. He also spoke against going to war for Rome, saying, why would you? Christ would not send people to die for him. Why are you sending people to die? And then he said, if you are the vicar of Christ, this might've been Luther that said this. So don't, don't quote me on here. If you are the vicar of Christ and you have the power to remove people from purgatory, why wouldn't you do it for free? Because Christ got on the cross and died for his enemies. You're telling me you won't even grant indulgences to your brothers and sisters in Christ for free. Cause if I, let me say this right now, if I was the vicar of Christ on earth and I had the power to remove a hundred years off your family's purgatory time, I wouldn't charge you for it. I wouldn't even ask you to do anything for it. I would do it because I love you because that's what Christ does. Why would you charge for that? Um, I actually have a book if you want. I can go grab it and read to you one of the sermons. Um, If you would like, you guys, I can read for you one of the sermons of a Catholic indulgent preaching from back in the 1500s. Um, But before I go grab that, let me just go ahead and finish what I'm saying. John Hus said something against that and they rebuked him and they sent him to be arrested. Okay. now, when he was arrested, he was promised a fair trial. Let me tell you the truth. You can go do the research on this. He came in to do his trial. And after liturgy, after mass. They stripped him of his clothes, stripped him of his priestly garb and said, you not only are being stripped physically, but you are being stripped of your salvation and you will be condemned to hell. And then they burned him alive after church, after promising him safe passage The Catholic Church did that to him. A hundred years later, Martin Luther did what Martin Luther did. You want to know why Martin Luther never came in for trial? Because you can tell me it's safe travels all day long, but I remember what you did to him. I remember what you did to John Hoos. okay? Um, This is true. And it was hundreds of years later when a pope finally said, things kind of got handled wrong there. My bad. He was burned. Alive after church for saying stop selling this, stop preaching this. His name is J-A-N H U S S. You can go look it up. Matter of fact, here, let me open up. I forgot I can screen share right here while we're on the uh while we're on uh YouTube. Check this out. We'll look at stuff together. Today's gonna be a fun hangout with Mike Day for the final part of the episode, right? <laughs> All right, let's stop sharing my, my my Bible app for a moment. Let's go ahead and um So what's let's look at the main picture that pops up. It's a man being burned alive, man being burned alive, man being burned alive. Let's look about who he was. We'll go to Britannica. John Hus, also spelled Hus, died July 6th, 1415, the most important 15th century Czech religious reformer whose work was transitional between the medieval and the Reformation periods and anticipated anticipated the Lutheran Reformation by a full century. Let's read about what what happened. Let's go down because you guys can go read all this if you want. You can go read all this if you want. the final break between archbishop Zanaik and huss occurred when the council of pisa deposed both pope gregory the 12th whose authority was recognized by bohemia and the antipope benedict the 13th so this is also why there were multiple popes going on at the same time um and in their place alexander alexander v The deposed popes, however, retained jurisdiction over portions of Western Europe. Thus, instead of two, there were now three popes. The archbishop and the higher clergy in Bohemia remained faithful into Gregory, whereas Hus and the Reform Party acknowledged the new pope. After being forced by the king's punitive measures to recognize Alexander V as the legitimate pope, the archbishop, through a large bribe, induced Alexander to prohibit preaching in private chapels, including Bethlehem Chapel. Hus refused to obey the pope's order, whereupon Zebinek... Ex- excommunicated him. Despite his condemnation, Hus continued to preach at the Bethlehem Chapel and to teach at the University of Pregus. Zabinek was ultimately forced by the king to promise Hus his support before the Roman Curia, but he then died suddenly in 1411, and the leadership of Hus's enemies passed to the Curia itself. In 1412, the case of Hus's heresy, which had been tactically dropped, was revived because of a new dispute over the sale of indulgences that had been issued by Alexander's successor, the Al- the anti-pope John the Twenty-third, to finance his campaign against Gregory the XX- Twenty the the, the, the Twelfth. So one pope was selling time off purgatory to battle another pope. Remember, though, they tell me that. There's an apostolic succession from Peter to today. But we had multiple popes being like, no I'm, pope. no, I'm the Pope. No, I'm the Pope. No, I'm the Pope. No, I'm the Pope. Let's remember this. Their sale in Bohemia aroused general indignation, but had been approved by King Wencclesia, who, as usual, shared in the proceeds. Huss and his former student, Jerome of Prague, gave a famed public dispute, which climaxed with the burning of John the 23rd's decree authorizing the sale of indulgences so they came out and said no you're not going to be doing this we're going to burn this decree huss also publicly denounced these indulgences before the university in doing so he lost the support of when which was to prove fatal to him huss's eni- enemies then renewed his trial at the curia where he was declared under major excommunication for refusing to appear and in an in- interdict inter interdict was pronounced over Prague or any other place where Huss might reside, thereby denying certain sacraments of the church to communicants in the inter- interdicted area. In order to spare the city the consequences, Huss voluntarily left Prague in October 1412. He found refuge in southern Bohemia in the castle of his friends, and during the next two years he engaged in fe- feverish literacy activities. His enemies, particularly Stanislav and Pele, wrote a large number of polemical uh, uh, treatises against him, which he answered in an equally vigorous manner. Now let's go down here to the final trial. I want you guys to understand this. This is history of your reformation. With the Western schism schism continuing unabated, King Sigismund of Hungary, Hungary, as the newly elected 1411 King of Germany, saw an opportunity to gain prestige as the restorer of the church's unity. He forced John XXIII to call the Council of Constance to find a final solution of the schism and to put an end of the heresies. Sigismund, therefore, sent the emissary to invite Hus to attend the council to explain his views, an invitation and um, I'm sorry, And an invitation Huss naturally was reluctant to accept. But when John threatened King Wenkless for noncompliance with the Inderdite and after Sigmundson had assured Huss a safe conduct for the journey to Constance and backed, no matter what the decision might be, Huss finally consented to go. So he said, look, man, you'll be safe. Just come on. He left for Constance but did not receive the safe conduct until two days after his arrival there in November 1414. Shortly after arriving in Constance, he was with Sigmundson's tacit consent, arrested and placed in closed confinement from which he never emerged. Huss's enemies succeeded in having him tried before the Council of Constance. That's an actual Catholic ecumenical council where dogmas and things like that are discussed. He was tried. At the Council of Constance, as the Wycliffeite heretic, all that the earnest intervention by the Bohemian nobles could obtain for him was three public hearings at which he was allowed to defend himself and succeeded in refuting some of the charges against him. The council urged Huss to recant in order to save his life, but to the majority of its members, he was a dangerous heretic fit only for death. When he refused to recant, he was solemnly executed, I mean, sentenced on July 6, 1415, and burned at the stake. You know what he said at the stake? Let me close this. He said, unless you can show me in the word of God where I spoke in error, I will not recant. And he said to my Lord Jesus, I have stood fast to you. And they burned him alive after church. But you want to tell me? That there was nothing wrong, that the Reformation was uncalled for? This is 100 years before Luther. 100 years before Luther. So did you guys want me to uh, uh, grab my uh, Reformation book real quick and read you guys what one of those sermons sound like when they preached about um, indulgences? If you want to, I will. It'll only take me two seconds to run upstairs and grab it. It's up to you guys, though. I don't want to bore your ear off going into this uh, Protestant history, but some people love this stuff. People love history. Um It is up to y'all. Absolutely. I don't even know how we got to that, by the way. <laughs> how we got there? Oh, because we were talking about Catholics and indulgences. All right. Well, I will be right back. I'll leave you guys with uh, my little music that you normally plays. We'll know my man? All right, guys. So this is actually an incredible book. It's called The Protestant Reformation, um, and it's a book of collection of all types of documents, letters um, from this time. Let's see. Give me one moment. All right. Give me one second, guys. Again, wasn't planning on doing this, so I just got really quickly. Ah, here we go. So. This is a sermon. I'm going to read the whole thing just so you guys can have some understanding. This is the type of sermons that was being preached that led to the Reformation. And I want to ask you, if you were living in this time, what would you have um, thought about? So I'm going to read the beginning of it. everything. We're just going to go through this whole little chapter. It's not very long. The Dominican monk, John Tetzel, was charged with the sale of indulgences in Saxony and Brandenburg. It is not altogether clear if Tetzel's rhetoric got away from him. Or if his instructions, the summary instructions, were not accurately understood by him. At any rate, if the contemporary accounts can be trusted, his preaching was rather flamboyant. Here are excerpts from one of his sermons. So, I, I want I want you to actually get, take yourself into the mind, right? So this is the book, by the way. Imagine you're living in the 1500s. Money is sparse. You get like a, a coin. Two coins, you're broke, you don't have any money, you're feeding your family. You love God. You want to love God. You love Jesus Christ. You love Jesus so much. And death is so real. You know people are dying all the time. Black plague. Like Nowadays, we think we're immortal. We think we're expected to make it to 95, and if someone doesn't make it to 100, you're like, oh my gosh, they died at 88? Man, you died at 17 back then. You're like, man, you had a good long life, right? I want you to understand the, the, the mindset of these people back then. All they care about is being with God because they think about their mortality. All right. This is the sermon. You, you have three coins to your name. You have children you need to feed. This is the sermon that your Catholic priest tells you. What are you thinking about? Why do you hesitate to convert yourself? Why don't you have fears about your sins? Why don't you confess now to the vicars of our most holy pope? First of all, I also want you to focus on something else. In Jesus, we don't think about our sins or fear our sins because we have been cleaned. But what have I told you guys? When it comes to the Catholic Church, they, there's there's no real cleaning of sins because you can keep gathering sins and keep gathering sins. and You can sin yourself out of salvation, right? Listen to it. I'm going to start again. I won't do this. So I won't keep repeating myself, though. So this is the one time. What are you thinking about? Why do you hesitate to convert yourself? Why don't you have fears about your sins? Why don't you confess now to the vicars of our most holy pope? Don't you have the example of St. Lawrence who compelled by the love of God gave away his inheritances and suffered his body to be burned? Why do you not take the examples of Bartholomew, Stephen, and other saints who gladly suffered the most gruesome deaths for the sake of salvation of their souls? You, however, do not give up great treasures. Indeed, you give not even moderate alms. They gave their bodies to be martyred, but you delight in living well, joyfully. You, priest, nobleman, merchant, wife, virgin, you married people, young, old, enter into your church, which is for you, as I have said, St. Peter's, and visit the most holy cross. It has been placed there for you, and it always cries and calls for you. Are you perhaps ashamed? To visit the cross with the candle, and yet not ashamed to visit a tavern? Are you ashamed to go to the apostolic confessors, but not ashamed to go to a dance? Behold, you are on the raging sea of the world in a storm and danger, not knowing if you will safely reach the harbor of salvation. Do you not know that everything which man has hangs, which man has hangs on a thin thread, and that all of life is but a struggle on earth? Let us then fight. As did Lawrence and the other saints for the salvation of the soul, not the body that is today, but not tomorrow. Today it is well, but not tomorrow. Today alive and tomorrow dead. You should know that all who confess and in penance put alms into the coffer according to the counsel of the confessors will obtain complete remission of all their sins. I'm read that part one more time. Listen. You should know that all who confess and in penance put alms, alms as your offerings, into the coffer according to the counsel of the confessor will obtain complete remission of all their sins. If they visit after confession and after the jubilee, the cross and the altar every day, they will receive that indulgence, which would be theirs upon visiting in St. Peter's the seven altars, where complete indulgence is offered. Why are you then standing there? Run for the salvation of your souls. Be as careful and concerned for the salvation of your souls as you are for your temporal goods, which you seek both day and night. Seek the Lord while he may be found and while he is near. Work at St. John's says, while it is yet day for the night comes when no man can work. Don't you hear the voices of your wailing dead parents and others who say, have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me, because we are in severe punishment and pain. From this you could redeem us with small alms, and yet you do not want to do so. I'm going to read that part one more again. Don't you hear the voices of your wailing dead parents and others who say, have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me, because we are in severe punishment and pain. From this, you could redeem us with small alms, and yet you do not want to do so. You know, I'd like to flip that quote. If I was alive back then, I would have got burned at the stake, because here's what I would have said. Y'all can redeem them with one small flick of the indulgence, yet you don't. That's why I love the quote, that if if, if this is true, And and the Pope had the capability to save my family from this torment, but he only would do so if I pay him. What kind of vicar of Christ are you? Let's continue. Open your ears as the father says to the son and the mother to the daughter. We have created you, fed you, cared for you, and left you our temporal goods. Why then are you so cruel and harsh that you do not want to save us, though it only takes a little? You let us lie in flames so that we only slowly come to the promised glory. You may have letters which let you have once in a life and in an hour of death, full remission of the punishment which belongs to sin. Say that again. You let us lie in flames so that we only slowly come to the promised glory. You may have letters which let you have once in a life and in the hour of death, full remission of the punishment which belongs to sin. O those of you who made a vow, you unsurers, robbers, murderers, and criminals, now is the time to hear the voice of God. He does not want the death of the sinners, but that they be converted and live. Convert yourself then, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, to the Lord thy God. O you blasphemers, gossipers, who hinder the work openly or secretly. What about your affairs? You are outside the fellowship of the church. No masses, sermons, Prayers, sacraments, or intercession help you. No field, vineyard, trees, or cattle bring fruit or wine for you. Even spiritual things vanish, as many an illustration could point out. Convert yourselves with all your heart and use the medicine of which the book of wisdom says, the most high has made medicine out of the earth, and a wise man will not reject it. That was one sermon from one Catholic. Out of the many, 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 many sermons that made Martin Luther say, you know what? Can't do it. Now, here's the truth. Since we're going down this route of Protestant stuff, we still got 30 minutes. Let's talk about Protestant Reformation stuff. A lot of Catholics will say, oh, well, Luther was this, this, and that. Luther was terrible. Luther was this. Let me make this very clear. Luther's not our pope, nor is he the example of the Christian to be. The reason why we respect Luther is because he had the courage to stand against the church. No one's saying Luther had the greatest doctrine. No one's saying Luther was the guy you want to be like. Luther was tormented by his own grief, tormented by his own sins, but he had the courage. And here's really the truth of it. See, Luther understood there's no way I can be saved if I have to do something. Luther was tormented by the fact that if I can lose salvation, I would lose it. That's how I feel. If if I could lose my salvation, I'm not getting saved. See, I'm not arrogant. I'm not prideful. Let me say this right now. If salvation is not a free gift, I'm going to hell. Anyone who thinks that, oh, I cooperate with God's grace. Oh, do you? Oh, you you saving yourself. Oh. With his help. <laughs> Lucky for you, God giving you a little help. Nah. You were dead in your sins, not you were on life support of your, of your sins and God did CPR, but like you had to fight back too. And I was dead. Let me give you an example. Lazarus, Lazarus, did Lazarus cooperate with Jesus? When, when Jesus said, Lazarus come out, could Lazarus have been like, I'm good, Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm finna stay dead. Can you imagine that story? And then they rolled away the tomb and then Jesus said, Lazarus come out. And then crickets, crickets, crickets. And then he said, Lazarus. I said, come out. He's like, nah, I'm dead. I'm finna stay dead. Oh, because when Jesus commands, even a dead body responds. Oh. ooh. Oh, Brian, your dad pulled, dude. I see you all the time. What's going on, brother? I'm 100% what's known as a monogist, right? I believe God saves. Catholicism teaches synergism, which means that God gives you the capability of being saved, but you must cooperate with God's grace. Okay. That's where we differ, right? They believe that God gives you the, so what basically it is, is so we believe that when Christ got on the cross, as it says in Hebrews chapter, matter of fact, we're going to read some more Bible because, you know, that's what we do on the podcast. This became a Catholic episode somehow, but let the Lord guide. I told you, I didn't know what I was going to talk about for two hours without JD. So I asked the Lord to be involved. And I guess this is the way he wants to go. Let me give you a, a, a brief explanation real quick before we get into this. So we believe that when Christ died on the cross, his blood transcends all of time. Goes all the way back to Adam. Goes all the way to the final person that'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Right? So when I come to Christ, I say, "Lord, I give you I give you my all. I can't do this, Lord. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you." God's not inside time like, "Okay, Up until now, you're forgiven. Be careful tomorrow. God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow. My sins tomorrow are forgiven. My sins next week are forgiven. My sins eight years from now are forgiven. People want to put God inside this box of time. But yet, I'm born again, a new creation. The way that the Catholic Church teaches you is that before you come to Christ, you're a piece of poop. Matter of fact, we both agree on this. Ready? We're both a piece of poop, Protestants and Catholics. The difference is when I came to Christ, the poop goes away and now I'm a gold bar, a new creation. Theirs is poop with gold flakes on it. And if you keep sinning, the flakes go away and you poop again. You got to keep coming back to the cross and get some more gold flakes and some more gold flakes and some more gold flakes. And you just got to hope that when you die, you're at a state of gold flakes and not a state of poop. That's the difference, right? That they got to keep coming back. You heard what he said. Even in that sermon 500 years ago, come back to the cross, come back to the cross, come back to the cross. If you don't go to mass, that's that's a sin. All right. There's also venial and mortal sins, which is mind blowing because all sins are sin. So this idea, like there are some sins that aren't as bad and some sins that are bad. Like, no, all sin is bad. But let me show you why Hebrews 10 completely demolishes this idea. It almost makes it sound like the writer of Hebrews 10 knew that one day they would be doing the mass. So if you're not aware of this, the Catholic mass is a re, a re, not representation, but a representation of the sacrifice of Christ. They believe that the body and blood of Christ, the bread and the body and blood, the bread and the wine actually become literally, physically, the body, blood, and soul of Jesus. So when you go to Mass, Christ is re sacrificed, or I'm sorry, his sacrifice is represented. It's the same sacrifice being represented, and you are digesting and ingesting the body, blood, and soul of God. Okay. Now, do I believe that communion is the body and blood of Christ? Yes. But don't take that the wrong way. Not like that. So that's why they keep getting more grace because they're forgiven. They get dirty. They need more grace, more grace, the mass, the confession, right? Now, listen, tell me if it don't seem like someone knew that this day was coming. He does away with the first to seven no, 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 sorry. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, granted, this is talking about the Old Testament, high priests cutting lambs and whatnot, but just pay attention to how this kind of rings a bell with what was happening today. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, wait a minute, say it again, for all time, a single sacrifice. Sacrifice for sins. What does that mean? That means every single sin that ever is committed is forgiven at the blood of Cross at the cross. Every single sin, every single sin, every single sin. My sins tomorrow, your sins tomorrow. My sins in a thousand years, my my great, 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 And what did he do after that? He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. But yet you want me to believe that I can get dirty again. Matter of fact, if 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 my sins tomorrow count And is this a lie? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So what's the advocating for if my sins still count? Wait a minute, wait a minute. If my sins are still getting counted against me tomorrow, does that mean Romans 4 is a lie? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is that you? Are you the blessed man from Romans four? If you don't know if you are, you need to ask yourself, am I the blessed man of Romans four? Because if you are the blessed man of Romans four, then that means you're the, you're the man from Romans five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? Because here's the thing I try and tell my Catholic brothers and sisters, according to your doctrine, at any moment today, you could lay your head on your pillow and be not under grace anymore because of a mortal sin, and you are now an enemy of God. So are you sure you have peace with God if at any moment you could become his enemy again? I can't convince anybody to, to find peace with God. But you guys that join me every week, my only goal for you, if anything I've ever done on these live streams ever mattered, It's that I want you to walk away from my live streams knowing two things about yourself. That if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you are one of the Christians that that the Bible talks about, a believer in Christ, that you are the blessed man from Romans 4 and you are the one who has peace with God from Romans 5. That word peace right there, shalom. No imminent danger. I don't know if you know this, but if I had court next week, And there's a chance that I might be found guilty and I might lose my life. I can't have peace today. Even if today the evidence says you're probably going to get off scot-free. You're going to be found innocent. If there's a chance between now and next week, something changes and that court's going to be different. I can't have peace. I can't have peace. There's a possibility of something happening. If my father is is sitting in a hospital bed and recovery is only 85%. There's a 15% chance of death. I can't be at peace not yet. If I'm at a standstill, if my country is at war with another but we call we call a ceasefire, but at any moment missiles fly again. I can't be at peace just because bullets aren't flying right now. So here's the question, are you at a are you at a a, a ceasefire with God or are you now his children? Because at the rest of this chapter it says what? If we go down, um, it says, for while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God. Are you his enemy or are you at a ceasefire? I'm not at a ceasefire with God. I'm a child of God. I have peace with God. And the sad thing is, I tell my Catholic brothers and sisters, you can't have that. In fact, I haven't met many Catholics that will have confidence in their salvation. They'll say, well, you can't know if you're saved. Well, then what is first John saying? Because he said, by this, we may have confidence. Don't let anybody take you away from Jesus. If Jesus says you could be confident that I have you, don't let someone come in between you and say, no, 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 no. no, You can't be confident. There's lots a lot. There's a lot of things I get serious about. This is one of the most serious things that I'll ever get about because I can't stand when people get scared of their salvation and get scared of God because someone else came in and said, oh, well, no, no. I know he promised you this, but <laughs> no. That's a mockery of the cross. You can have peace with God. Jesus said, I will not lose any. Samantha, read first, John. Because I could give you several things that I say, but all those things would be subjective based on my experience with the Holy Spirit. And the worst thing to do is to base your experience with the Holy Spirit off someone else's. Like, well, I don't have that feeling. I don't have that day. I don't have those things. Read first, John. First John was written so that you may have assurance of salvation. And it's not horrible to ask. We all go through that moment saying, well, wait a minute. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Do, do I have do I have salvation? And here's the sad thing is, so many people are insecure in their salvation today that if you try and help them get that question out, they think you're challenging their salvation and they fight against you. based. Ain't nobody preaching a no workspace gospel. I'm preaching the gospel. And the gospel says, don't get confident in your complacency. Don't get confident in your pride because some people convince themselves that they're saved because they don't want to address the fact that they don't act saved. First John says what? Remember I told you guys earlier that John loves to tell you why he wrote something. Like that's just how John is. John be like, yo, just in case you, you ain't figuring this out. Let me tell you why I wrote this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So I always tell people, whenever people ask me, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? My thing is to point them here because I want you to walk through that. And here's my advice. Read 1 John, pray. Read 1 John again, pray. And then read 1 John that third time and reflect. Why do I want you to read it three times? Because I want you to catch everything in it. It's not long. You don't got to do it back to back to back. Matter of fact, read it, go to sleep. Tomorrow, read it. Because lots of people will tell you, trust in the feeling in your heart. Mormons get feelings in their heart. Trust in uh the miracles in your life. Man, anybody can convince themselves that a miracle happened in their life. You really want to know what first John tells you to do? Pay attention to God in you. Because as Philippians says, it is God doing a mighty work in you. Do you recognize the love of God in you? Are there those moments where you can't help but want to love people? Like, and it's against everything that you ever used to be. Selfless. Matter of fact, I can tell you this: you want to know how to recognize the Holy Spirit versus your flesh? Your flesh will never lead you to do selfless things. It always leads you to do selfish things. Now, don't get me wrong, we can be confused on what a selfless thing is because giving money to someone, but then making sure others know about it is selfish because you're only doing it for the for the for the boasting. But selfless, truly selfless actions, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit moving in you, truly selfless. And when you start to get to know the Holy Spirit in you, you start to recognize all that selflessness. And that's a lot of what John talks about. John says, if you have the goods of the world and you don't help your brother in need, how does the love of God abide in you? Ask yourself, is it easy for you to reject people that you love? Reject helping people? Reject loving people? Do you not find that craving to be close to the Lord? Do you not? And again, none of this said, I'm not saying you have to do any of this to be saved, but I'm saying I'm tired of people thinking that being saved is, is something that's not serious. Like some people think like, Hey, as long as you believe you're good, don't even worry about it. We're talking about our eternity. Why would you not take that serious people? I'm sorry, but I'm not finna just chalk up my eternity to like, yeah, I think I believe. Because there's lots of people that we know think they believe. It's easy to look at Mormons and be like, oh, yeah, they don't believe in the true Christ. But w- yet we we think we do. I'm sorry, but I'm, my eternity is way too valuable for me to just be like, yeah, no, no, no. No one can question my salvation. No, no, no. If you notice something in my life that looks off, come talk to me. Mike, hey, bro. Yo, man, you stand up here and you teach people, man, but you ain't carrying yourself like Christ. Thank you, man. What did what, you notice? See, some people get offended at that because they're insecure at their salvation. Test yourself. Make sure you are of the faith. That's what Jesus, I mean, that, well, Jesus is speaking through Paul, but that's what Paul says. Fasting. Guys, fasting is a great tool to test your faith. Spirit in you, guiding you. Get me through this, Lord. Do I trust you, Lord? I say I trust you, but do I trust you? We say it all the time in every episode. Faith means trust. It's not blind evidence. It's trust. And if I say I trust the Lord, I should be able to do things that he says I got you for it. Okay? I haven't fasted in a while. I'm going to fast again soon. Fast. Lord, I say I trust you. While well, I trust you to provide my nourishment. I'm going to go three days without eating. Because I trust you, Lord. Maybe just one day. Lord, I... I You know what, I'm I'm, I'm not going to stop preaching your name, even though it's going to cause me to lose my platform, Lord, because I trust you, Lord. Lord, this woman's not going to date me if I I keep being strong about my faith, but you know what, I trust you, Lord. Lord, I'm going to lose my job if I keep talking about you. I trust you, Lord. As a beginner, I would recommend 24 hours, Samantha. Cause we're so spoiled in today's society that we can cause some serious health issues by jumping into a deep fast because we've been, we eat so much and, and, and things like that. Um, there's also other ways to do fasts where it's not just no food. You can do a three day fast where you only eat at nighttime fasting during the day, water all day, and then you can have dinner. Or you can do like a juice fast where there's no food all day, no food for three days, but you'll have like a juicing, um, 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 you know, something like vegetable juice or something. Yeah, the, the the spiritual warfare is real, and sometimes it's not even the outside spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's our flesh. Sometimes we're battling with our own doubts, our own condemnation. No, it's okay, man. God don't care if you break this fast. Now go ahead, man. You need to eat, man. God would understand. God, no, come on, Mike. Come on, Mike. But man, we just keep going all over the place, don't we? <laughs> This is what happens when JD is not here, guys. We end up just talking about all types of stuff. But as I was saying, I want you guys to understand that that the blood of Christ is not insufficient. Like, I, listen, um, it's funny. I'm I'm thinking about writing a book, um, about my journey, leaving the Catholic Church and falling into sin and um, and things like that. And one of the main things I want people to understand is that we put such an emphasis on, am I a part of the right denomination? Am I understanding this part of scripture right? Do I have the right eschatology? Do I understand this prophecy? Do I, do I, do I, do I? And we don't realize it's a lot of I. You ever notice what is being said in Matthew 7? 21. Everybody focuses on the prophesying in your name and casting out demons. Can I ask you guys something? You ever notice that the person that comes up to Jesus in that example is talking about what he's done and not what Jesus has done? You ever notice that? Lord, I cast out demons in your name. I prophesy. I We get so focused On wondering if we're doing the right thing. And that's where we lost the gospel. What do you mean? You're not. (laughs) Who cares? He did. It's not about what we do. And the thing is, we'd rather focus more about understanding this and understanding that than just loving people. This has been on my heart heavily lately. And I know you guys have seen the videos. We need to love people. We need to serve people. Can you imagine standing before God one day? Because no matter what, we're going to all give an account. Like that's what the Bible says. Can you imagine standing there and getting the Matthew 25? I just read it on my video, but just in case one of you didn't watch that video, I want to read that parable real quick. How heartbroken would you be on this one? Let me make it bigger for you guys. Actually, that should be fine. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations, just the Jews. No, just the Gentiles. No, all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheeps on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brother, you did it for me. I've been saying this lately a lot. It's been on my heart a lot because I'm being sucked into it too. Nothing there said you studied the scriptures and taught so many people doctrine. You talk, don't get me wrong. Are there some people that are meant to be teachers? Yes, but James says not everybody. The sad thing is today, everyone thinks that they're a teacher. You know why? Because it's actually kind of easy to be a teacher sometimes. Sometimes it is. If you don't take it serious, you see for JD and myself, we're stressed out all the time because we don't want to mislead anybody. But if I didn't care about misleading you, if I didn't care about your guys' hearts and souls, then this would be the easiest thing in the world. What makes this hard is how much you love the people you talk to. But a lot of people put this focus on the studying of scripture and not the living of it. But yet all I see in scripture is do, 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 do. And again, this isn't talking about how to be saved. It's about when we are saved. What are we called to do? God's word has prevailed for 2000 years. He doesn't need you to be the one to do extra work to prevail it. He needs you to go love people and serve people. People act like if I don't teach this to everybody, then they're never going to hear it. Man, you're not the only person teaching the word of God. You don't got to put that focus 24-7. You need to go love people though because someone could die tomorrow and you were that light of God that was going to come into into their life and give them that arm around them. Can you imagine standing before God one day and he tells you you wasted your life reading his scriptures? Can you imagine how broken that would be? Like, no, Mike, hey, Mike, I loved. I'm going to use me as an example. Father, are you going to say, well done? Did I do good, Father? Well done for what? Because you read the scriptures every day? How many people did you touch? How many people did you love? How many people did you feed? But Lord, it's not workspace. I didn't say that you had to. Tr- I didn't say a certain quota. But you didn't try. All you did was study, 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 study. You wanted to know more. 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 Well, if you were studying so much, why didn't you see the part that those that want to be puffed up will become nothing? Trying to become wise, they became fools. Guys, I. we need to be more... About living that word. Look, if there's some people that want to be these theologians and scholars, fine. Let them be it. You're smarter than me. You know more than me. I want you guys to love someone. Once a week at least. Once a week, just go out. Volunteer at your local charity. Volunteer at your local shelter. Not to tell anybody about it. Go serve somebody a plate of food. Let me tell you right now, if you want to get closer to God, serve people. man. The times that I've spent out serving people has been the closest I've ever felt to God. And if people use you, it's okay. Cuz we're not serving them based on how they respond to it. If they're your enemy, love them. But I it's just really that's all I see online now is this people everybody's a theologian, everybody's a scholar and it's just like Imagine if we all put this effort. Imagine if if we put this effort into getting to know people, loving them, reaching out, touching them, being a light in their life. But we're so scared of workspace gospels. And I think a lot of people are going to stand there before him one day. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Because you spent your whole life reading about me instead of getting to know me. I love the Bible. It's the guide to my faith. Read it every day. But it's not my faith. My faith is out there because my God is alive. He's not just written about. He's alive. We serve a God of action. We serve a living God. You never see God stagnant in the Bible from day one. He's active. From the moment he spoke to the very end. So don't be a stagnant Christian. Don't be a a Christian that thinks that it's, it's beneficial to just study. I get it. Studying is amazing. I love getting to know him. But man, seeing the light in someone's eyes when they get loved on for the first time, someone who doesn't get loved. There's a lot of people out there that never felt selfless love. Their parents were abusive. Everybody took advantage of them. And then you show up and you're just like, no, I just wanted to help you. No, no, I saw you. Hey, I saw you walking across here and it looked like you needed help. Can I can I help carry that bag for you? Why would you want to help carry my bag? That's weird. I just wanted to. So I'll tell you a story. Y'all know I don't like sharing stuff unless it's for a purpose. So this is a purpose. The other day, uh, two months ago about, I was um, on the way to school and I stopped at the gas station. And I'm sitting in my car and um, I look across the street. And I look across the parking lot and there's a dude in a wheelchair just rolling. Right. And I'm like, where in the world is he going? And I'm like, Mike, I should, you should get out and go help him. And I'm like, no, I got to go to school. And I'm like, no, Mike. So I had this, I, I have these inner battles sometimes. I'm like, no, no, Mike, get out and help him. And I'm like, no, Mike, that's weird. You got to go to school. Like, no. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to regret that if you don't. And what if that's Jesus? I tell myself that ever since Matthew 25. And I've read that many years ago when I first said it, I said, what if that's Jesus. Right, what did Jesus? Because even Paul said, Be careful you don't entertain unaware, uh, unawaringly entertain angels. Right, I, I I sometimes said it to myself to help me go past that selfishness to help someone. Like, what if that's Jesus? Right, but I'm like, No, I might go. So I get out the car and I run over. I'm like, Hey, sir, I saw you pushing yourself across the parking lot. You mind if I just help you out and I give you a push? He was like, Sure, I'm like, Cool, where are you going? He said, To the gym, dude, might have been parked not that far away, or maybe he was homeless. Who knows. So I start pushing his wheelchair. We have a conversation. Great guy. That's it. I didn't preach to him. It doesn't always have to be. See, people are scared to do this because they're scared. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't know about like having to go, you know, Jesus is this. Just love him. Just be a light. And then you can say, God bless you. Hey, you might if I I pray for you. Or if you don't even have the curse that, hey, what's your name? Because I want to be praying for you. Slide it in there. Oh, my name's Steve. All right, Steve. Hey, Steve. I'm gonna keep you in my prayers. Okay. It was a blessing to meet you. I'm really happy about it. Stop and just help someone. It it, it feels good, but at the same time, you have no idea what that person's life has been. You don't know if up until that moment they're like, "Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna end myself because this is stupid. Nobody cares about me." And then here comes Samantha. Here comes Selena. Just randomly. Hey. How you doing, man? No, I saw you sitting here and you just look like you could use a friend. Do you care if I give you a hug? I I bet you haven't had a hug in a while. Don't be scared to touch them. Don't be scared they're dirty. I love to hug people because especially homeless people. You know why? Because homeless people are used to people being scared of touching them. And they have not had human contact in forever. You mind if I give you a hug? Obviously, don't walk up and say that. I'm talking about after the conversation is over. Before I go, like, come here. And again, I'm not saying this because I like, I'm not, I don't like sharing what I do. But sometimes it's necessary for the point of the story to give you examples so that you understand. I'm not telling you you have to go out and preach the gospel on the corner and this, this, and that. What I'm saying is if you're driving somewhere and you see someone standing on the corner across the street and you're not in a rush, do a U-turn. I have 100% pulled into a gas station parking lot for no reason because I saw a person ran into the gas station, bought some water, and then ran across the street to deliver the water. It's okay. You could do that. You could take five minutes out of your life to do that. You have no idea how you might change someone's life because of that. Because if, if you read the word of God every single day, but you're not willing to do that, how does the love of God abide in you? I'm not challenging your salvation. I'm quoting John. If you've got the goods of this world and you're not willing to help anybody, how how are you about to tell me God's love abides in you? Because God's love is in us. With that, guys, it's an hour and 55. I will go ahead and end it here on YouTube and as always, I'll, I'll do a little wrap-up over on TikTok because we're not really finished this conversation, but we keep these conversations to two hours here on TikTok, I mean, on YouTube. So um, thank you guys for joining me. I'm sorry that this conversation went in a lot of different directions. Um, JD couldn't join us, but hey, it happened, and this is where we're at. Um, guys, keep JD in your prayers. Keep uh, Justin, his family, in your prayers. Keep the entire body of Christ in your prayers. Um, and let's just keep focused on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the cross. And as I tell people all the time, throughout the day, you're going to stumble and fall down and look down. But always get your eyes back up on the cross. When you wake up, set your eyes on him. And when you go to bed, let your eyes be set on him. And as long as you do, you're going to stay, stay the course. Because the body goes where the eyes go. In fact, Jesus said that the eyes are the lantern of the heart. So where your eyes are set is where your heart is as well. If your eyes are set on porn, if your eyes are set on money, if your eyes are set on everything else, that's where your heart is. But if your eyes are always set on Jesus or always going back to Jesus, if he's the focal point of your life, that's where your heart is. So, guys, I appreciate you. As always, merchandise in there. Y'all check it out. I got the family biblical shirt here, Jesus, husband, wife. uh link trees in the links um support if you can if you can't hit the share button hit the like button join the discord discord links are always in the description i appreciate all of you being here you guys are the same people here every week and let me tell you this right now i'm going to make a statement right now if this podcast went on for 10 years and it was the same 45 people every single week we would never stop doing it because it's not about reaching thousands it's not about reaching hundreds it's not even about reaching 40 It's about reaching one person. And if one person's life can change from what me and JD are doing, then it's a mission accomplished in our book. So we thank you guys. We're going to keep doing this as long as we can, as long as I have a, a mouth and I'm able to speak. And I appreciate you guys being here. God bless you. I love you. Peace, grace, and go in peace.